I made really, at least I hope, all the mistakes a new investor could possibly make. Welcome to Funds That Won, where we dive into some of the world's most renowned investment funds. We'll interview investment managers across the alternative landscape and learn how they built their million and even billion dollar asset management empires. We'll explore teams, structures, strategies, and best practices in launching and running alternative investment funds. All right, what's up, everybody? I am here with uh, Dustin Gomez from the Gomez Group. Well, Dustin, why don't you uh, why don't you start off just by telling us a little bit about of your uh, about your background, how you got into real estate, and uh, just a little bit about your backstory? Yeah, sure thing. Prior to getting into real estate, uh, I spent just about 19 years in corporate leadership and did a lot of various roles throughout a pretty large uh, telecommunications organization. Um, so I've done everything from sales to management, operations, uh, network deployment, uh, project management, all sorts of stuff. And uh, somewhere along the way, uh, about 10 years ago, I... I'd read a little bit about real estate, didn't know much about it, but I had had some people in my close circles tell me, you know, you really should start investing. It's a good idea. You're young. Get into it early. Uh, and so we did that. And uh, we actually took our, me and my wife's first home, and we converted that into a rental property for college students. And really didn't think much about it, never intended building a business. And after a couple of years, you know, we had really started to see some of the, the fruits of doing an investment like that. And so we bought another a couple of years ago, another and another. And uh, once we acquired five properties, I just decided to get licensed just to streamline my own investment process. I thought it'd be easier to do my own deals, learn the analysis, sort of speed up the execution a little bit. That's really when I started attracting different clients who approached me and they wanted to invest themselves. They knew I was knowledgeable in the space, knew I had had some success. So I just took on a few you know, clients here and there. And as time went on, uh, those businesses grew very well. And you know, for me, I'd really reached a point where those businesses had done so well, I was able to leave my corporate job comfortably and really focus as a, a full-time investor. And you know, once I spent some time there in that space, you know, it just really became apparent to me that I would never achieve the scale that I was looking for until I sort of bring it in outside capital. And, you know, that's really where the Gomez group really came together and, you know, sent out a message to people that are very close to me, let them know what I was doing. And they were very interested in getting involved. And so um, shortly after that is when, uh, very fortunately for me, I found the Black Card program, the IFS network. And uh, really, the rest is history. So uh, that's how I Love. got, and that's where I'm at today. Well, that's a great inception story. So let me get this right. So your first home, uh, you basically just held on to it and converted it into a rental, and that's where you initially caught the little bug. Do you still have that property today? I still have it today. Um, I will never sell it. I, I got to be honest. I mean, someone would have to offer me like a, a 10x type multiplier to, to for me to even consider yeah. it. It's very special to me. Um, I actually am the only person that I will allow to even lease out the property and, and talk to the tenants. And I let them all know that's where it started for me. And so it's it's always an easy property to, to get rented. Yeah. Um, you know, and you know, what's really unique about this property is 
once we get at least my, my wife shows up with cookies and then she tells the story and we bring our kids and it's sort of, <laughs> sort of this big thing. Oh, that's so, very cool. Oh, that's awesome. Well, that's awesome. And now you, you, so you, I love that story. So you started just taking your primary residence, converting it into an investment and here you are, uh, you know, a few years later and you're making, what'd you say? 23 million of assets. Yeah. So total, uh, 23 million in assets under management. And, um, you know, we have properties really just along the Southeast U S and, uh, we do plan to continue to grow that portfolio through, you know, various port partnerships and different ventures. And we've got a really good program. Um, but yeah, we're, we're in that space today and that's where our management's at and we're looking to scale up from there. Well, you know, talk us through some of the, maybe I'd love just to hear a little bit more about how you scaled that business, right? Cause most people are always in the process of accumulating either through, you know, you mentioned, you know, leveraging other people's money was key and, uh, you know, scaling up quicker. I'm sure you had to start building internal teams, uh, you know, may, let, let's maybe tailor the, the advice to someone who's just starting out, uh, you know, only has a few properties under management and is trying to grow their business and eventually away from their nine five, you know, what would you, what would you tell them? Yeah, look, um, I probably took the road less traveled. I made really, at least I hope all the mistakes a new investor could possibly make. So I did things the hard way. You know, I tried to do all the maintenance myself um, I tried to do all the individual steps uh, completely alone. And, you know, I just figured, you know, if I work really hard and I'm relentless and I apply maximum effort, I'll make this thing really, really successful. And when you only have a handful of properties, that that may be true and it and it may make sense. But for me, in order to scale, I knew that I needed really good business architecture around me. And for me, it's something that came very easy to me because I used that in my previous job very, very well. And so I just transferred a lot of that skill set into real estate investment. And so um, after I had sort of learned the ropes on my own, it was very easy to outsource help from there. And some of the early help that I think is really, really critical if you want to scale up in real estate is you need really good analysts to break down deals for you. Um, you need really good property managers around you. You need really good asset managers who can not only understand acquisition. But once we actually have the asset, how do we manage it very, very specifically? And so for our team, we have various individuals across multiple states. Um, we don't necessarily have a standard operating procedure yet, but we're, we're gearing towards that. So that the same person in the same role in the state of Texas is doing the identical thing in the state of Florida, the identical thing in the state of Tennessee. And then we collaborate across those different geographies. We share feedback. We understand what's working. But really for me is I'm trying to break down how is this so simple that it's impossible to make a mistake across any particular geography and requires no experience necessary to execute a particular task. So fortunately, a lot of the, the tech involvement over the last few years has really helped out a lot in that space. Um, so we try to automate as much as we possibly can. Um, so different systems in there, Lincoln, but I'll tell you that the people are really what make the difference. You got to have people who are 
you know, they, they're very ambitious. They want to do well, but they're going to protect your asset just as well as, as you do. So um, those are just a few. Yeah. Thoughts no, that's great. I'd love to, you know, go even a, a level deeper if we can here. What sort of roles you know, property management and, uh, you know, analysis, you know, if you could talk to us about maybe some of the roles that you prefer to keep in house, um, as opposed to maybe those uh, roles that you opt to outsource and, you know, why elected that or, you know, if you're all one way or the other, um, a little more color there would be great. Yeah, wonderful. Um, I do prefer to outsource uh, all tax preparation uh, and strategy for from a tax perspective. Um, I'm very comfortable with understanding what the strategy is, how to build it. But Lincoln, as you know, things evolve, uh, things change, your strategy changes, your adjusted basis on a specific asset will change. And at scale, you really need someone who understands granularly how to go about you know, making sure you're getting the type of, of structure that you need. So um, I attempted to learn the entire IRS code as it applies to real estate. And it's just for me, <laughs> it, just, it just didn't seem to be yeah. worth my time. And so um, we do like to outsource that. Um, we do like to outsource some of the bookkeeping as well, but we really like to do that through some of the software vendors that we have. Uh, who are experienced yeah. in real estate um, at scale, it's just very difficult in-house to go through each and every aspect of the general ledger and how it applies. And we just really need that person to kind of connect back through our tax and financial partners. Mm -hmm. um, so we really do outsource that sort of activity. Uh, for me, I think that the, the analyst and property manager being in-house is very vital to success. Uh, but we also have a director of operations who sort of oversees some of the roles and how they're interacting together so that, you know, we're making sure that the property manager understands that we're bringing in, you know, two to three properties this month and what are the dates and what's our tenant profile look like? Do we have any leads in the funnel for people who want to rent from us? So there's all sorts of various activity happening there. I like to keep that in-house in for me because I've done those roles before. So I know what their challenges are. I know how to help them overcome certain things. And I just prefer to keep keep that sort of stuff as close to the vest as possible. Um, yeah, that's great. Yeah. No, that's awesome. I mean, you, you, I hear it different from everyone. Everyone's got their reasons. So I always like to ask. Well, let's, let's shift gears a little bit. I'd like to actually talk more about these assets that you typically like to acquire and you know, how you think about investing in real estate? Because there's, you know, there's a hundred ways to do it. And I think I've heard a lot of them, you know, how do you think about investing in real estate? Kind of your approach. Yeah, it's the question that um, everyone seems to have an opinion on this topic. And, uh, you know, some people are very, they are very affirmed in their position on what's the best way to invest in real estate. Um, for me, I really look at something that I would want to own for a lifetime. So I really believe in the buy and hold strategy. And for me, it's not just about buying a piece of property and trying to sell it for a profit later, really looking at something that do I want to own this for a lifetime? You know, would I, would I be proud to own this? Is this, is this a place that I can bring an investor to or an agent to, or just a member of our team and say, Hey, here's what we're building over time. So, 
I really look at it as building a long-term, very sustainable business as opposed to what's the IRR immediately. You know, those are things I think about, but I really try to look at it and say, is this something that we want to own forever? And so as I think about that sort of thing in an asset, I also do look at the financials very, very rigorously. So for me, it's generally a, a two-step process. I look at it and say, what does the data tell me? And Lincoln, as you know, there's many different ways to break down many different assets, especially, especially in real estate. Mm -hmm. But what does the data tell me the return looks like? And, and then also, what does Dustin think? You know, what does the team think? Is, and if those two things match up, I know I have a really safe investment. If what the data says and what I think does not match up, I really try to understand why those things are. You know, so if the returns look tremendous on paper, but it just doesn't feel right, I really try to dig through and understand why that is. But then also, if I feel terrific about a particular asset, but the numbers don't quite look right, you know, I really try to understand that too. And so I'm kind of using the tech, using the data but then also using my own human intuition as well to, to make those selections. Hey guys, thanks for listening. As you know, we don't run ads on this channel. So if you could really help me out, this podcast has added any value to you or your business. Uh, please subscribe, rate, and review. I would appreciate that greatly. Thank you. How many deals do you typically look at, uh, you know, before you ultimately make a selection? You know, sometimes, um, I would say like uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of 40 to 50 opportunities per, per actual selection. Um, it does vary season to season. Um, right now we're being a little more rigorous because some of the opportunities are not quite as obvious as they used to be. So you have to sort of grind it out and do a little bit more uh, due diligence. And, um, you know, in the environment today, there's so many external factors in play that it makes your analysis, you know, much more important to actually executing the deal. But um, that's about how many we go through. Yeah. So I assume you're referencing, you know, the current interest rate environment that makes it a little challenging. Like, I mean, how have you guys, you know, navigated that, you know, hurdle? It's been a, it's certainly been an obstacle for a lot of, uh, you know, operators. Yeah, absolutely. So um, Lincoln, I, I not sure if I mentioned this, but we primarily focus on uh, single family buy and hold re uh, real estate. And so really what we look at interest rate is, is two parts is overall, it's just another expense and another cost, whether it's interest rate or insurance, you know, repairs, whatever it may be, it's just an added cost. And so we look at it and say, okay, there's nothing we can really control at this moment, but what cost can we trim back in the meantime until rates come more into the space where we need them to? And then also, is there maybe an opportunity to charge just a little bit more rent to increase the top line to offset, you know, some of the effects of the interest rates? Um, we wouldn't let interest rates stop us from making a decision. Uh, we believe that there will be a point in the future where they will come back down. And really what we believe is at that point, it will help accelerate the equity growth due to the increase in prices in our housing. And so even if we don't have quite the return we want in years one through three, for example, we believe that because the interest rates are high, we're going to have a much better year of five, six, and seven. And so we do look yeah. at things like that. Um, anywhere in the South, especially Louisiana, insurance is very challenging at the moment. 
um, it is ultra competitive because most of the national lenders have 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 gone out of places like Louisiana and, and some of these other counties in the South. So we're keeping an eye on that. Um, you know, so instead of just assigning the cost, we're understanding what's in our policies. Is this going to give us the coverage that we need? A lot of investors are asking about that sort of thing. And so uh, we make sure um, we have good quality companies that we're doing business with that can help us through that. So it's just a matter of understanding all the different inputs of the investment and making the best choice for, for the clients. Yeah, no, I, I think you just alluded to something that's going to become a more common topic right now, which is third party risk in the, you know, in the shadows of the SVB collapse and everything and counterparty risk, you know, like, um, does that keep you up at night ever? Or, you know, what's, uh, what would be your, your take? There? Never. Uh, just to be frank with you, I don't, um, I pay attention to all the external and economic factors that are, that are going on, but I don't let them stop me from what we're trying to achieve. Uh, I think if you look at any data set, you'll understand that since the beginning of time, real estate has continued to go up in value and investors for at least my lifetime and you know many other people's lifetime, real estate is just a safe investment. And so we've had these things happen in our world before. There's been pandemics, there's been depressions, um, we've had civil wars, you know, you name it. So I look at, I really like to look at what's happened over the course of human history and think about today. And when I look at today, I'm like, you know, it just, we have overcome so many challenges just as human beings to get here. The stuff we're dealing with today is, you know, we've been able to overcome much worse is the way I look at it. So uh, we have to pay attention because there are things in the short term that could be either an advantage or a disadvantage for investors, but I don't let it keep me up at night. No, that I love that response. That's great. That's awesome. So I'm going to have the chance to ask you earlier was, uh, you know, as we were talking about, um, you know, deal flow, like uh, is what are your primary sources of deal flow? Are you headhunting, you know, these opportunities yourself? Do you have an acquisitions team that's underwriting everything or, you know, I, more particularly, what advice would you have for someone who's trying to maybe increase uh, their deal flow? Absolutely. Um I would, I would tell anyone who's really trying to increase their deal flow to make as many relationships as you possibly can. Um, relationships are really vital to get the right type of deal flow. Um, what you really want is a situation where instead of you hunting for an opportunity, is people are bringing opportunities to you. Um, for me, when I was first starting, you know, I went on all the, the public databases and um, you know, tried to engage different buyers and sellers and tried to sort of um, hustle my way to a deal in that manner. But over time, if you just surround yourself with the right people who are in these different spaces, um, great things can happen for you. So for me personally, um, I really try to maintain really good relationships with anyone who's in construction. And fortunately for me, some of my best friends, um, you know, Brothers for Life are in the construction area. So, you know, not only from a residential standpoint, but from a multifamily, industrial, 
all, all sorts of different construction. So I would recommend that for sure. Uh, any developers of real estate is really good contacts to know. They're generally very aware of, you know, different projects that are upcoming, different trends, um, really, really good people to know in that space. And, and really, you need to have wonderful relationships with your lenders, your bankers, and anyone in the real estate industry. You know, so typically, typically your brokers and your agents, they have deals that, you know, a good investor can come into and have a really great situation. And for them, they're looking for people to bring deals to, you know, they, they would much rather have a repetitive source, someone they can constantly go to and give deals because they, they know you can close. And so the do you more typically work through a broker, then do you, do you have like a dedicated broker that you really work through or what does that look like? Yeah. So, um, you're looking at him. So this is, uh, I'm a real estate broker in Louisiana, uh, soon to be in Florida and Texas as well. And so up until now, um, I've done most of the deals on my own. And so uh, fortunately, we've actually uh, just recently brought in some new agents to kind of kind of help me with some of the deals that are coming in. Um, but as time goes on, you know, we certainly look to sort of work with other brokers and, you know, have those relationships that I referenced. Um, but up until now, I've tried to I've tried to do as many as I possibly can on my own. Um, and really just more of it's a. Uh, it not only speeds up the process, but I can give an additional cost savings to my clients if I do some of the work on my own instead of outsourcing that. And so we're able to kind of boost returns in that way. Um, but our, our team's growing. We've got, we've got other brokers and other agents that are going to come in-house. And so kind of, kind of excited to see that side of the business evolve as, as well. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Um, I forgot that you ran your own brokerage. Uh, what a great source of uh, deal flow there. I, I want to kind of ask you, uh, you know, non-agenda item topic here, just, you know, something I was talking about with some other associates today, but, you know, we, you know, we're really bullish on the future of tokenization in real estate, uh, tokenization of assets. It's probably not as relevant for single family assets as they're, you know, smaller and require lower check sizes, but, you know, I'm curious just to get your take on tokenization of assets, if you have an opinion and, you know, you think uh, if you're looking around the corner, what you think things look like. Yeah, I think um, I think it's impossible to ignore the opportunity for things like tokenization. Um, you know, for me, admittedly, I am not the expert, but a lot of people in the industry are talking more and more about it. Um, I actually had a a client once uh, in the last six months who tried to buy a property with cryptocurrency. And it was, you know, so bizarre compared to the norm that, you know, we, we didn't even entertain it. But when you talk about crypto tokenization, you know, and then you see really big players on Wall Street really getting behind the efforts, mm -hmm. you know, at some point, it, those things are going to break through and come part of our everyday lives. So I think it's something that we got to pay attention to. Um, I think it's something that most people do not have just basic level knowledge of, in, in, including myself. I'm very much a beginner in understanding how it works. But as as I've learned through uh, different members in our own network, um, there is a there is a really broad world of tokenization that just seems like it's inevitably headed this way. And mm -hmm. so um, 
I think we got to keep an eye on it. Um, it does, it does make me wonder how that's going to play into what we're trying to accomplish. And, you know, if it, if it changes the process entirely, you know, does it, does it affect how we raise capital? Does it, does it affect how competitive we are when we're trying to make acquisitions? Um, we could probably talk about this one all day. Yeah, no. Yeah, that's great. I just wanted to hear your take a little bit. Hey guys, if you are interested in working with myself or our team, uh, we actually select a few clients a quarter to work with. Uh, you can find an application on our website. I would love to see, you know, if you if you are looking to start a fund in any way, shape or form and need some help, uh, shoot us a note. We'd love to take a look. Well, as we wrap up a little bit, you know, what are, uh, just to the audience, what, what do you feel like are, you know, some of the biggest things that have contributed to your success thus far. Uh, they could be habits, could be people, could be mentors. I don't know, wh whatever, you know, but wh what are those core contributors to your success? Definitely. Um, I think that, you know, for me, growing up with humble beginnings has helped me significantly. You know, when you're, when you're coming into to this world and, you know, you don't have much and, you know, you're really trying to earn your way and find your way. I think that pays massive dividends as you get older. And so, you know, for me, that was very much, that was very much how I had to earn every inch, you know, along the way. But I'll tell you, at, at some point, I really did get some of the most incredible people around me. Um, marrying the person that I did has had more impact on my success than anything. You know, she she really put me together. She's helped me become, you know, a great dad. And that's helped me a lot in business, too. And so um, meeting the right partner in life, I think, is is super critical. Um, I have three wonderful kids today. Uh, I've actually got one that will be here next month. And so, you know, I'm really looking at that as at some point. Thank you. I, I really think we can build this business together. And so you know, having that legacy mindset of the type of organization I want to leave to them uh, really helps me on a day in and day out basis. Uh, so those would be a couple of things. I would also say um, there's two habits in particular that have helped me uh, really more than anything. And the first is I get up at four o'clock every single day and every day, every day. Wow. Um, good for you. Well, That's awesome. It, I will sleep in sometimes on a Sunday, you know, just yeah. kind of depending on how the weekend goes. But um, for me, it's I started that habit a few years back and it it was a game changer for me because I had really never done anything like that. I had always slept in to the last minute. You know, I was the guy hitting the alarm clock 30 minutes before I had to be at the job and, you know, running in and at some point, I just knew to get to where I wanted to be. I had to do something different. And for me, I look at it as, you know, it's it's an extra three-hour start on the average person uh, of each day. And so when you quantify that over a week, you're like, okay, this this is almost like an entire extra day. And then once you quantify that over a month, a year, you know, I look at it as adding you know, over a decade to my life. And so I think, what could I do with all that extra time? And so for me, it's not only a, an edge, but it's what I do during those times. So like, I don't, I purposely don't work. I don't turn on my computer. I don't check email. 
uh, most of the time. So either, either journal or swim or exercise or, you know, sometimes just sit with my thoughts and, and see what comes out. And, you know, it's really just my time to, to do whatever I think is necessary. And so that's helped me tremendously. Um, it really helped set my day. I don't wake up in a rushed mindset. Um, most of the, the stuff we carry when we arise for the day, you know, maybe kind of eliminate a lot of that baggage is, is how I put it. You know, I don't, I don't have to worry about all those things. I've taken care of them before really I even greet my family to start the day. So waking up really early has helped me significantly. And I would say the second thing is just read, 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 you know, read everything you possibly can. You know, you just really want to be a lifelong learner and read the right type of books, the right type of articles. Um, I think if you surround yourself with the right literature, you could, you could be very successful in this life. And so um, a lot of the, a lot of the people have really shaped my mindset as um, Ray Dalio, love Ray Dalio, uh, Warren Buffett, Napoleon Hill, Andrew Carnegie. You know, I'm, I'm reading anything those guys have, have written or been involved with and just trying to understand where they're at uh, and continuing to read and find new authors um, is, is sort of a hobby. So wake up early and read. Do you focus? Do you- do you focus more on books or do you, are you a big news reader? You like, do you like articles or you know professional publications like that? Or do you see benefit in one more than the other? Or? I like books uh, a lot better because there's no distraction as you're going through them. So I feel like you can really get dialed in on a good book. And, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes you could sort of get lost in a book, which is, which is tremendous. I mean, I think that's a great experience if you can get really in, into the information, give it some thought and have an, it can have an effect on you. Um, you. You know, I used to look at the newspaper a while back, but a lot of the, a lot of the articles today, it, we live in a world, unfortunately, where there's all this distraction coming at you throughout the day. Um, I'll occasionally look at some some different outlets, but nothing, um, nothing consistently. I'm really trying to look at, to look at the books as much as I can. Interesting. Cool. I love it. I love it. Um, well, any last thoughts, Dustin, uh, that you'd like people to know about you or your firm, uh, you know, before we wrap things up here today? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I've been in the real estate space for, uh, just over 10 years now. And, in these last, just this last year, we have really ramped up our organization quite a bit. Um, our group is, it covers many different aspects. So we have investors, we have agents, we have partners, we have vendors, contractors, managers. We have all sorts of stuff. Um, and really, as we go along, it's not just about making money. We want to give back and do the right things for humanity as well. So um my wife is, is going to be heading up a lot of this, but we're going to be getting involved with things like uh, building schools, building libraries. Um, locally, there's a, there's a battered women's shelter through our church we're trying to get involved with. So um, if you guys, uh, if we connect at some point in the future, there are many different aspects to get involved in our group. Um, we really try to make room and, and help everyone we possibly can. Um, yeah. the proceeds we do get, you know, we're trying to do the right things with them. So if you have a particular project that is, is special to you, 
that's the things that's the things we like to hear about. So, um, love it. All things. Well, where can, where can people find you? What's is it LinkedIn? Do you have a website? Is there, where's the best place that people can uh, get in touch? Yeah. So our website is actually under construction uh, to make room for a lot of the new business. Uh, but if, if any of you want to reach out to me directly, uh, it's just the Gomez group at gmail.com and I'll be happy to, to give you, to talk to you. Love it. Dustin, thank you so much for your time today. Appreciate you coming on and sharing your story. I love some of the threads we were able to chat about. And um, yeah, thank you so much for coming on today. Awesome. Thanks for having me. All information shared are the sole thoughts and opinions of the author. Do not take any information as legal or financial advice. You should seek a certified accountant and a professional legal team before taking any further action. We are not selling or soliciting a security in any way, shape, or form. This content is for educational purposes only and is not to be construed as financial or legal advice. Clients of Fund Launch or Black Card Capital Partners may maintain positions and securities discussed on this podcast.